Hello, sustainable friends, and welcome to Let's Act, Sustainably Developing Africa and Beyond podcast. Here we will share bold and innovative solutions that will help us tackle social, economic, and environmental issues that affect sustainable development. The Let's Act podcast series will amplify voices of people from communities, businesses, academia, civil society organizations, and more who will share real experiences that will drive development for an Africa we want. My name is Tokumbo, talks for short, Ifachiroti, and I am your host. It is time. Let's act, Africa. Hello, sustainable friends. I am absolutely delighted to be speaking to you today. This is my second episode. Whoop, whoop, whoop. It's titled Bon Voyage, The Rush Back to Nigeria. Digging into my history was the beginning point for me to at least put some events into a global context, even though I was a little girl at the time, but with a great memory. It also gave me an insight into what some Africans may have felt or have gone through during their move back to Africa. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that as well. I'm passionate about global inequalities and development, and I hope you are too. In this podcast series, we will look at the reality on the continent and the world and consider how sustainable development can be inclusive by you and I playing our role to ensure we live a better, inclusive world for the next generation. I am keen really to understand the historical context behind a continent that is rich in agriculture, mineral and natural resources, yet is clearly performing badly on many of the development indicators. High unemployment rates, poverty, hunger and maternal health spaces are badly hit. How come other countries are meeting targets to make their countries and the world a better place? How can capacity be built across Africa to ensure that health, education, economic growth and much more become the focus objective? There seems to be a lot of expertise and innovation on the continent now, but are there signs that these are fostering development? If yes, how? And is there adequate, reliable and robust data that truly articulates how development is growing? If yes, how is this being monitored? Is the continent monitoring and evaluating actual progress? See, I'm sure you also have many questions too, but I look forward to hearing from you. And please stay connected via social media tabs at Let's Act Africa. I hope you're excited like I am. Let's get started, sustainable friends. I will provide a short version of my family's historical context for their move back to Nigeria. This will give a helicopter overview of the driving force behind the journey some Africans in the diaspora made back to Africa, some for a better lifestyle. There were lots of Nigerians studying and working in the United Kingdom in the 50s, 60s, and by the 70s there was an exodus of Nigerians going back home for greener pastures. It was the oil boom era. The harbour at Southampton was alive with lively voices and happy families ready to go back to a country that was beckoning. I remember my grandfather would always write asking my mum and dad when they'll be going back to Nigeria, so we were told. He was actually eager to see his grandchildren as well. And two things still stick out in my mind, two trunk cases or trunk boxes as we called them. One was of deep rich green and then the other was shiny silver. 
My parents packed a lot of our possessions with great expectations like most of their friends did and I remember my brother and I were full of glee. We had been sold on the idea of a wonderful cruise and a lovely life in Nigeria. But not everyone went back home though. Some didn't believe in the stories and stayed behind in England. We did and we were all aboard the Elder Dempster passenger line for two weeks and I still have fond memories. Anyway, truth be told, it was true. It was the oil boom era and there was a lot of money in Nigeria. New buildings and skyscrapers rose from the ground across the 12 states and life couldn't be any better. There were jobs for our parents, my dad is now a semi-retired engineer, and my mom a fully retired principal. Some worked in the civil service, others were doctors, pharmacists, nurses, lawyers, and so on. We eventually settled down and lived in a place called Jos, as the weather was almost the same as the British weather, and my parents had lots of expatriate friends, and some of our close-knit family members too lived in Jos. We went to a private British school, lived in lovely homes with helps, the roads were well constructed, there was constant electricity, good organic food and much more. The highlight of our year, or years I would say, was travelling by road from Jos to Oyo State, particularly a town called Ogomosho where my grandparents lived for Christmas. We packed ourselves in my parents' Hillman Hunter and my dad always drove. I remember once visiting an uncle's farm where I tasted my first cocoa seed from a pod. It was soft and sweet and the seed, there was a hard seed in the middle. His daughter, my cousin, also lived with us and was proud of her dad and his lovely farm. However, these seeds were eventually exported abroad to make chocolates which were then imported back into our country for consumption. We always stayed at my grandparents' house for Christmas holidays and my grandpa, who was a retired railway staff, had a large orchard and a farm that he cycled to every day. He always came home with pawpaws for the family and pineapples, especially for me, with fresh corn, which my grandma boiled or roasted for all of us. Life was bliss and we would listen to stories about his accomplishments walking across Nigeria at various railway stations as we sat late into the night in his courtyard. Then... Things began to change across Nigeria, across Africa, in fact across the whole world. Unfortunately, the oil boom era came with so many negative consequences that affected social, economic and the environment in Nigeria. There was a heavy dependence on oil export and the political scene soon began to change. The boom was being described as the oil curse by many people. The agricultural sector, which was initially the mainstay of the Nigerian economy, was neglected and had an adverse impact on the rural population. The Dutch disease began to creep in. By Dutch disease, I mean where there was a, a, a reduction you know, in people that were working in the agricultural sector because they began to move towards working in the oil-booming sector. And the knock-on effect was that we were exporting large amounts of oil, but that led to an increase in exchange rates. And then there was a reduction in agricultural exports, as you can imagine. So many farmers at that time had downed their tools as agriculture and economic diversification no longer seemed attractive. The whole nation's focus was now solely on oil. Most development partners at the time began to cut off their aid to Nigeria. 
The dependence on oil was immense and a clear divide began to emerge like fault lines on a mountain. So the rich or the elite began to get richer and the standard of living began to deteriorate for the middle class who at most times clung desperately to that class until eventually many of them had to move down the ladder. People started losing money and going bankrupt. Wealth was no longer distributed evenly and ethnic groups and divides were on the increase. More states were carved out and slowly conflicts began to arise. Everybody wanted a piece of the national cake. There are now 54 countries in Africa and of these, 48 countries make up sub-Saharan Africa. Nevertheless, all these countries including Nigeria make up the African continent and are varied in sizes and economies. Over the course of history, and largely due to colonialism, many of the African nations were relatively underdeveloped. Many nations were dependent on importing know-how and technology, capital goods, and the bulk of consumer goods came from abroad. Regarding consumer goods, I remember every week my mom would order a lot of our tinned food, cereal, and the likes through my dad's employers. Like most of the senior staff, our foreign food came from England and every month our chop box, as it was called then, was delivered to us with all the food that we were accustomed to eating when we were abroad. Anyway, I, I digress. But what is important to note is that many African countries were and are still dependent on the export of one or two commodities. It's usually called monoculture where it's just minerals and or commodities. Therefore, the continent was and is still influenced by anything that affected world price conditions in relation to oil or commodities like coffee and cocoa. And the economies were not diversified enough to absorb shocks like price shocks. But it's worth noting or pointing out that oil prices are known to be volatile across the world. And with oil being the main source of revenue for Nigeria and other oil producing companies, they all borrowed heavily over the years to cover unexpected shortfalls and also to enable them build public infrastructure. This led to huge foreign debts being amassed. And so by 1979, in a battle to push back persistent inflation, the United States government had significantly increased interest rates, which had reached nearly 20% by 1981. This was known as the Volcker shock and this shock directly led to massive increase in world interest rates. The inflation adjusted interest rates paid by governments of regions like Latin America, Asia, Africa and Oceania increased from minus 4% in 1975 to over 10% a decade later. Many African countries suffered as a result of series of external shocks and most heads of governments had borrowed heavily and now found themselves unable to repay back their loans and voiced this position in Lagos at the Plan of Action meeting in 1980. Unfortunately, the seemingly ever-declining real commodity prices and unfavorable terms of trade, world recession, rise in international interest rates, debt burdens, and extended periods of drought had a huge economic toll on these nations and simply ravaged the African government. Most of the blame for the then poor economic performance of sub-Saharan Africa was placed on factors beyond the control of its government, which many will argue is still subject to debate. By that time, African governments had begun to resort to borrowing monies from the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, IMF, with stringent repayment conditions and measures just to keep their economies afloat. 
many governments at the time dealt with this problem by short-term borrowing, creating long-term debt burdens. Reality began to sink in for many Nigerians who had traveled from abroad to Nigeria and others who had traveled back to their home countries from across Africa. People began to question if they had made the right decisions and many could no longer go back abroad as they had sold their possessions for a new life. For some, the expenses were too huge to even contemplate, while others had solid faith that this tide of things will soon pass and their respective economies will be strong again. But that was when the inequality of economic growth began to bite hard across the African continent and almost one in two people began to live on less than $1 a day, which increased to living on less than $1.25 a day. And some will argue today, well, living on less than $1.90 per day. In the case of Nigeria, all dependency was associated with very high poverty rates, poor health care, high rates in child mortality, reduced expenditures on social services, poor educational performances. The strain placed on community infrastructure threatened public health as the oil-induced large migration began to surface. Series of conflicts broke out across the oil regions with ripples across many states in Nigeria and disparities between rural and urban areas began to show. There were also calls for more states to be carved out from the 12 states and this increased to 19 states. Today, there are 36 states and the federal capital territory that make up Nigeria. Environmental degradation and the pollution of land and rivers due to oil extraction led to the loss of income earning opportunities from other areas, including agriculture. It's worth pointing out that the economic history of Africa, which is reflective of the Nigerian economy, despite the diversity of national economic experiences can be broadly split into four key eras. So from 1960 to 1980, the growth of many African economies equaled that to many other areas in the world. That was when one pound equaled one naira. From 1980 to the 2000s, when economic growth collapsed in many African countries as a result of the external shocks of oil price increases, declining in terms of trade, and increase in real interest rates. Then from 2000 to 2007, many African economies were recording reasonable economic growth, largely from significant increase in the prices received for primary products. And then from 2000 to present, the economic uncertainty returned with some decline in the demand for raw materials, with a slowdown in the European and American markets, and reduced growth in the Chinese economy. So in closing, the eight millennium development goals that were set between the year 2000 and 2015 were agreed and adopted and put people and their needs at the forefront of human development and reshaped decisions making for both the developed and developing countries to work with. The Sustainable Development Goals started in 2015 to be completed in 2030. These are reflective of lessons learned with much emphasis placed on our ability to deliver our shared responsibilities, put an end to poverty and leave no one behind and of course create a world of dignity for all. Moving forward for the Sustainable Development Goals to succeed in Africa, you and I and our leaders must remember the SDGs were adopted in 2015 at a time when a lot of the African economies were slowing down 
mainly due to commodity price shocks and these particularly affected resource-dependent countries. Then at the same time, a number of African countries were fragile due to insecurity and instability, which meant that a lot of them had to spend a lot of resources on security to the detriment of social and investment spending that would have enhanced their economies. And at the global level, rising trade tensions and projected negative impacts on global growth and investments in Africa. And at the global level, rising trade tensions were projected to negatively impact on global growth and investment and Africa was not immune. But despite the difficulties and dependencies, Africa still has the potential to achieve some of the SDGs if proper strategies are adopted and implemented urgently. In the upcoming podcast episodes, we'll be hearing from people from all walks of life on how they have developed and implemented strategies, localized solutions, and have made progress towards achieving the sustainable development targets and goals in Africa and beyond. We are excited about this journey and would love that you continue to travel with us. Please share this with your friends and your families and associates and let us all strive to make Africa and beyond a better place. And hold on, you can't afford to miss the next episode. I'll give you a sneak peek. We have um, Dr. Mira Tiwari, who has just written a book titled Why Some Development Works. And she will be coming to discuss about why development succeeds in some places and fails in other places. And she'll be talking about case studies that she's carried out from over 10 countries across Latin America, Africa, and Asia. So I can't wait to see you. Thank you so much. I really do value your time. And I look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Till then, bye. Thank you, sustainable friends, for tuning into today's episode. And we hope you feel empowered and ready to develop economic, environmental, and social solutions that will bring about positive change in your communities for a better Africa and beyond. By the way, you don't have to wait until the next episode to chat with me. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Let's Act Africa and tell me one thing this episode has convinced you to start doing. Also, if you found this episode insightful, please make sure you leave a rating, subscribe to our show, and share with others who you think can implement solutions in Africa and beyond. Remember, we're all in this together. Until next time, let's act Africa.